Amen. You may be seated. It is good to sing the Psalms. It is good to sing of the glory of the Lord. It's good to sing of our God being a God who is good, in whom there is no harshness, in whom there is the perfect gentleness. We have tasted and we have seen the goodness of our God. There are, there are at least two or three folks who are seated here today that are evidence of the goodness of our God, and we're grateful. If you would, please take your Bibles and turn to the Old Testament book, Samuel, 1 Samuel, the first half of Samuel, 1 Samuel. Today we come to chapter 30. If you'd turn there, let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy word. It's a rather lengthy passage. I'll try to be quick in the reading, but also careful. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev, against uh, Ziklag. And they, over, uh, they had overcome Ziklag and had burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. And they killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. Carried them off for what? Well, you fill in the blank. All that you do with captured people. They carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. And David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. And David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David and David inquired of the Lord of Yahweh, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So David set out, and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook of Asor, and where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued, he and 400 men, 200 stayed behind, who were too exhausted to cross the brook of Asor. And they found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. And they gave him bread, and he ate, and they gave him water to drink. And they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived, for he hadn't eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, To whom do you belong? And where are you from? He said, I'm a, I'm a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite. My master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. And we had made a raid against the Negev of the Cherethites and against that which belongs to Judah and against the Negev of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, Will you take me down to this man? And he said, Swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this band. 
And when he had taken him down, behold, they, they were spread abroad over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day. And not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken. And David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and the herds. And the people drove the livestock before him and said, This is David's spoil. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David, who had left, he had left at the brook Basor, and they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. And then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, Because they didn't go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. But David said, You shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And he made it a statue and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. Now, when David came to Ziklag, he sent part of the spoil to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, Here's a present for you from the spoils of the enemies of the Lord. It was for those in Bethel and Ramoth of the Negev and Jatir and Aror and Sifmoth in Eshtemoah in Rakal, in the cities of the Jeremelites, in the cities of the Kenites, in Hormah, in Borashan, in Antioch, in Hebron, for all the places where David and his men had roamed. The word of God for the people of God. Some would say a comedy is a humorous story with a happy ending, and a tragedy is a serious story with a sad ending. A contemporary author and Christian brother in Christ, Peter Lightheart, says that at the end of a tragedy, everybody dies. At the end of a comedy, everybody gets married. Maybe a better way to put it is that a story that begins well, begins happy, begins with contentedness, but ends in distress or anguish or pain or brokenness or death and the like, that's a what? Tragedy. And the story that begins in distress and hurt and pain and anguish and conflict, but ends well, is a comedy. And if that's the case, then what is this passage? It's a what? Comedy. It ends remarkably what? Well, but how did it begin? How did it start? Well, whether David and his men realized it or not, God had just spared them from what? 
going to war and battle and plunging their swords into their fellow Israelites. And, and God used the pagan Philistines and the suspicions of the pagan Philistines to keep David and his men from being in that predicament. And if I'm reading David right, at the end of chapter 29, as he's making march back to Ziklag, which is about 30 mile, I mean about 60 miles away, multiple day journey, as he's marching back with his men to Ziklag, he's a disappointed guy. He's downcast. He's, he's downcast for one of two reasons. One, maybe he's downcast, and I'm hoping this was not the case, but he was downcast because he couldn't go to war with his Philistine master and prove his worth. But I'm hoping he's downcast rather because he didn't go to war with the Philistines to then turn on the Philistines as a fifth column to join with his brother, brother Israelites in defeating the Philistines. One way or the other, he most likely is disappointed, downcast. Things are not necessarily good. He's on his way. He's on his march back home. But he was about to go from bad to worse, right? He doesn't know it, but he's about to go from bad to worse. Verse 3. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it what? Burned with fire. And their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. And then David and the people who were with him raised their voices. And don't you hear the, the pain and the agony? They raised their voices and they wept until they had no more strength to weep. Have you ever been in that sort of situation? You've wept and wept and wept and wept and wept and, and you just give out and you can't weep anymore. That's where they were. Sort of like an illustration that the prophet Amos would use later. Hear, hear what Amos said. He said, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It's darkness and not light. Notice the illustration Amos uses. He says, It's as if a man fled from a lion. Okay, imagine a lion chasing you. Not a good thing, right? Amos says, As if a man fled from a lion. And the, and the implication is, And got away. As if he fled from a lion. The lion's been chasing you and for some reason you've thrown the lion off. And you're jumping down on another trail and this is what Amos says. And a bear meets him. You've gone from bad to at least bad. And then Amos adds one more. He says, or he went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. So imagine the situation. The lion's chasing you. Whew. You've given the lion a slip. And then there's the bear in your way. And then you, you, you run from the bear and you get away from the bear and you get to the home, you close the door, you say, Whew, and you get bit by a serpent. That's going from bad to worse. We've got an expression, and our expression is we go from the fire into the frying pan or the frying pan into the fire. Can everyone remember which it is? And where does David and his men, where do they find themselves? Either in the fire or in the frying pan. They find themselves in a bad, bad predicament. Don't move too quickly. Just kind of hit the pause button. And let's, let's camp out on this for a moment. Put yourself in David and his men's shoes or sandals. You have been on the run 
from Saul for days, weeks, months, years. You've been in conflict with the Philistines. You then are in some sort of league with the Philistines. You've, you've gone through problem and trouble and trial and heartache one right after another. Can you imagine being one of these guys? And this story then comes along and it answers a question. A question David is probably thinking, but a question all Christians typically will ask at one point in their life. Can it get any worse? Can it get any worse for the child of God? The load is so heavy. One disappointment after another disappointment, after trial, after trouble, after battle, after misunderstanding, after th- one after. Can the load get any heavier? And chapter 30 comes along with the answer. Yes. Yes. Ziklag. Ziklag. Now David had suffered truly, I believe, some of the effects of his own sin. But I think he suffered much more of the effects of the sins of others committed against him. In a phrase, David had experienced dark, frowning providence. Now, dark, frowning providence is hard for modern Western Christians to get. Particularly shallow-minded Christians who have to think that they've got to put a smiley face on everything. At this point, one commentator tells the story of a Christian woman who wrote to the famous Bible translator J.B. Phillips. If you know anything about Phillips, Phillips uh, suffered what many a uh, good saint suffers. He battled depression. And she knew Phillips battled depression. And yet she had been through a lot of hard time in her life and she wanted to encourage Phillips. So she wrote him this letter and laid out for Phillips her story. You see, she had had a terribly unhappy childhood. And in her childhood and into her adult life, she suffered several severe illnesses. Seven years before telling her story to Phillips, one of those illnesses that she suffered was polio, which which she said left her with a caliper and uh, a couple of uh, elbow sticks. And then some sort, of, some sort of systematic gangrene began to affect her, making life all the more slow and cumbersome. You're getting the picture? Her husband was a political refugee who develops psychotic tendencies. And he became an emotionally and mentally different person. 
And when he saw the effects that the polio had upon her and the, this whatever this sort of disease was that was gangrenous, I guess we might say, he said, I've, I've had enough. He left her, fled to Canada. He didn't leave her just merely alone. He left her with three small children to raise with no income. Well, the Lord graciously answered the prayer for provision. The children grow up. One of the children, a daughter, was engaged to be married, and her fiancé was killed by a car. Two years later, that daughter was in a car wreck herself, and she suffered a concussion. But she didn't tell anybody about that concussion, and the concussion messed with her mind. And the heartache and the concussion led her to try to commit suicide. Not once, not twice, three times. She was unsuccessful. And so her mother, in agony of soul, had to commit her daughter to an institution. At least for a time until they figured out that she had had a concussion. The lady laid out all that in her letter to Phillips, and she ended this way. Yet in all these times, I never knew God to fail. In all these times, I never knew my God to fail. Brothers and sisters, there can always be a ziklag in our life. Suffering, as several of you know far greater than I do, suffering can go deep and be protracted. You most certainly can face more than you can handle. As one Christian minister put it, when Jesus said, in the world you shall have tribulation, he didn't reduce it to the small print or put it in a footnote. Don't rush past Ziklag. Though we don't speed through the first five verses, Praise God, there are more than five verses. There are more than five verses, aren't there? Yes, there's sick lag. Yes, there's weeping until you can't weep anymore. There's mourning. But God can do what with mourning? You know the passage. He can turn mourning into dancing. And that's what he is about to do with his anointed one, David. You see, tragedy is going to become what? Comedy. Just a couple of simple points to make for the rest of the chapter. First, tragedy becomes comedy. That's, that's, that process started with what? Notice verse 6. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But, 
But God, and I'm adding something here, in David, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. It's the work of God. But David strengthens himself in Yahweh his God. He's already finished. He's already wept. He's already lamented. And all those are good and fine. Our God can handle them. He's already done that. And we do well to do the same. When we look at our own fallenness and brokenness, and when we look at the fallenness and brokenness of the world around us, it's good to weep, to lament. Some of you are going through all kinds of pain. And I need to be crying on my pillow at night for you. And crying out unto the Lord. And you should be doing the same thing. It's good and proper. But it doesn't stop there. David takes another step. He strengthens himself in Yahweh. That goes beyond lamenting. What is it? What does it mean to strengthen himself? I think it's found in the last phrase of that sentence. He strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. The old Scottish commentator Alexander McLaren, quoted by Davis, McLaren said here, David could no longer say my house. He could no longer say my city. He could no longer say my possessions. But he could say my God. My God. My God. Strengthening himself in the Lord his God was a holy and necessary personalizing of his faith in the face of tremendous loss. Strengthening himself in Yahweh, his God, was a personalizing of his faith in the face of great loss. Yahweh wasn't merely the God of Israel. Yahweh was his God. He was David's God. And Yahweh could strip everything away, and yet if Yahweh was there, David had all that he needed. Sounds a lot like the older man of faith, Job. It sounds like this remarkable spiritual truth that some very deep and mature Christians come to. Through the crucible of pain, when everything's stripped away, you have God. You have God. And He is enough. David had God. David had a God who makes promises. David had a God who hadn't and wouldn't fail David. It's like the... Sort of like the recognition of the apostle Peter when Jesus preaches that 
hard. I mean, it's a hard sermon in John chapter 6. And at the end of John chapter 6, many of the crowds who were quote-unquote followers of Jesus Christ, what do they do? They turn and leave Him. And Jesus turns to His smaller band. He says, you're going to leave me too? And what does Peter say? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. David's strengthening himself was a recognition that God was his God, that God hadn't and wouldn't fail him, and that God was the only one to turn to in his loss. And what does David do? What does he do next? He turns to God. Verse 7, And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him. He answered him. He went to God for the word of God. He went to God for an answer. And God, in His graciousness and His love and in, in His keeping of covenant with David, answers him. He says, Yes, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. Dear suffering Christian, strengthen yourself in the Lord, your God. To do so means that you're going to entrust yourself not to Abiathar, you're going to trust yourself to a far greater priest, a great high priest. And what does the writer of Hebrews tell us about that great high priest? Since then we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to the confession, for we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace in what? Grace to help in what? In time of need. Second, finally, and last thing I can say, and I'll try to make it brief. There's so much more you could say here from this chapter, but let me just do this. Notice verse 8. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And he answered, Pursue for you shall overtake and you shall rescue. Go down to verse 22. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, because they didn't go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil, etc., etc. Notes verse 23. But David said, you shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He preserved us. And he has given into our hands the ban that came against us. And then finally, verse 26. David's giving all that stuff to the people of Judah. When David came to Ziklag, he sent a part of the spoil to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoil of my enemies, spoil of the enemies of the Lord. Simple point was, the enemies of David were the Lord's enemies. And the Lord gave David the victory. David's victory was God's 
victory. The God who never fails, never failed David and won the victory through him. As I teach my students, the study of history is actually the study of war. A great and ongoing war. An asymmetric war between God and all the forces of evil. And there are times as you study history and there are times in your personal history when it looks like the forces of evil have or will win. But don't be deceived. The enemies of the Lord have, will be defeated. We live, and we know this, we know this, where David, our, our, our older brother, wasn't able to understand this. We understand that since the great battle of Christ on the cross when he crushed the head of the serpent until the second coming, everything in between is just a mopping up exercise. It's sort of like after World War II, after VJ Day. There were Japanese scattered across the Pacific on these little islands that didn't know that they had been defeated, but they had been. And so it was just a mopping up exercise. It's sort of like a chicken with its head cut off. The chicken does what? It flops around. It may even walk, but it's what? It's dead. Love, love, love. The answer the Westminster Divines gave to this question. How does Christ execute the office of a king? They answer in that old language, Christ executeth the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. You see, all those enemies have to be defeated, brothers and sisters. They have to be defeated because we've got an appointment to make. They all have to be defeated because we're going to a wedding. Because we're smack dab in the middle of a comedy. And what happens at the end of a comedy? We all get married. So all those enemies have to be defeated, and they will be because Christ is going to have his bride. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and mercy. Thank you for the victory that is ours in Jesus Christ. May we place our faith and trust in him and him alone this day. Amen.